Hello, I'm R.A. Spratt. I write and perform this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, I'm a children's author, so you can buy a book by me, or you can buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. It's an easy way to make a small thank you gift to the show so I can keep kicking this can down the road. The podcast directory you're using right now should have a link to my Buy Me A Coffee page in the show notes, or you can type it into your browser. That's buymeacoffee.com slash stories R.A. Spratt. All contributions are gratefully appreciated. Hello and welcome to Bedtime Stories with me, R.A. Spratt. Okay, so this week the story is Hercules and the Nemean Lion, as told by Nanny Piggins. Here we go. Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children were sitting on a bench at the train station, waiting for the next train. It was going to be a long wait because they'd only just missed the previous one. And when I say they missed the train, it was really the train that had missed them, because as the train was pulling into the station, the driver had spotted Nanny Piggins coming down the stairs and hit the accelerator, driving straight through the station without stopping. Nanny Piggins tried forcing him to stop by running along the platform and bashing her handbag against the window, but the platform was only a 100 metres long, and she was wearing a lovely Louis Vuitton gown, so she hadn't wanted to plummet off the end into a heap of gravel. To be fair to the driver, he was not piggist. He was just frightened of Nanny Piggins. She had caught his train several months earlier and scolded him severely for breaking too suddenly. She was taking home a pavlova and the sudden change of speed of the train had made the whipped cream slide off the meringue. She'd been forced to eat the whole thing before further damage could be done. Which was probably why she told him off so thoroughly. She was so full of the pavlova, eggy, sugary goodness that she could think up some really cutting things to say like... Where did you get your driver's license from the back of a toilet cistern? And I've had smoother rides being blasted out of a Napoleonic cannon. So that's how Nanny Piggins, Boris and the children came to be sitting on the platform feeling forlorn. There were several other confused and disgruntled passengers waiting too. This train station doesn't even have a good vending machine, complained Nanny Piggins. Well, it did have a vending machine, Derek reminded her, but you stole all the chocolate bars out of it last time. I did not, said Nanny Piggins. It's not stealing if the chocolate falls out. I couldn't leave the chocolate lying on the platform in hot weather. It would melt and be totally ruined. Yes, but the only reason the chocolate fell out of the vending machine is because you got Boris to pick it up and shake it upside down, Samantha reminded her. Well, I thought there might be some loose chocolate in there, said Nanny Piggins. Loose chocolate is like loose change down the back of the couch. That's a finder's keeper's situation. Everyone knows that. Well, we've got half an hour to wait, said Michael. Since there's nothing to eat, why don't you tell us a story to pass the time? All right, said Nanny Piggins. But what story should I tell? Well, how about one of Hercules' labours? asked Samantha. Yes, said Derek. You told us the one where Hercules cleaned the Aegean stables. But he had another nine labours he had to perform, didn't he? Well, Hercules actually performed another 11 labours, said Nanny Piggins. It was only supposed to be 10 in total, but his sneaky cousin, King Eurystheus, said he cheated on two of them, so he had to do extra. Cleaning the Aegean stables was just the fifth labour. So what was the first labour, asked Samantha. Did he have to clean a public toilet? Or clean a sewer pipe? Or clean a really muddy African elephant? 
No, it was none of those things, said Nanny Piggins. Hercules' first labour involved no cleaning at all. In fact, it involved killing. Which probably actually did lead to cleaning, because I'm sure it's a very messy business that requires a good bath afterwards. Huh? said Michael. The first labour that King Eurystheus ordered Hercules to perform was to kill the Nemean lion, said Nanny Piggins. That's awful, wailed Boris. What did the Nemean lion ever do to him? Lions are some of the loveliest people I know. Cassandra and Amy from the circus were always so friendly to me. They'd never dream of biting anyone. Unless you ate their steak when they weren't looking, in which case they could be very grumpy indeed. But so long as they didn't marinate their steak in honey, that very rarely happened, and we all got along very well. Yes, I know, dear, said Nanny Piggins, but you must remember the performing lines at the circus were highly trained professionals, and also extremely well fed. The ringmaster was evil, but not a fool. When you run a business, you must keep your overheads low, but underfeeding a lion is a terrible false economy. And the lions you may chance to meet when on safari in Africa, they can be delightful as well, so long as you make sure you only photograph them from their best side, when their manes are looking windswept and fabulous. But this Nemean lion wasn't like a regular lion you might meet in the street. Oh, I hope I never meet a lion in the street, said Samantha. You say that, but if you ever need a can opened, said Nanny Piggins, bumping into a friendly lion can be very convenient. Their claws are much better designed than any tin opener. That said, this Nemean lion was not the type to help anyone with problematic kitchen goods. The Nemean lion was a monster. That's a bit harsh, said Michael. You don't like it when people are piggist. Aren't you being lionist to say that? Oh, no, not at all, said Nanny Piggins. It was literally true. This was the ancient Greek story days, and they had monsters back then. Real ones. In fact, do you remember when I told you about the Titans? Oh, yes, said Derek. The Titans were the monsters who ruled the world before Zeus and all the other immortal gods came along and threw them out. And Typhon was a Titan, wasn't he? said Michael. The monster with a hundred snakeheads who Zeus threw an island at. Yes, that's right, said Nanny Piggins. Well, Typhon is actually connected to the story of the Nemean lion. You see, Typhon was married. Really, said Samantha. That's amazing. Handsome princes and beautiful princesses always find it very difficult to get married in fairy tales. But you're saying this huge, hideous, hundred-snake-headed monster managed to find love? Yes, I know. It's amazing, isn't it, said Nanny Piggins. But back in the time of the Titans, there were lots of giant hideous creatures. So finding your perfect love match, despite being a murderous, evil giant, wasn't as hard as it might be today. So Typha met someone special and married her. And her name was Echidna. What, like the spiny native Australian mammal, asked Michael. Yes, the same name, said Nanny Piggins. The echidna was actually named after Echidna the Titan, which was very insulting to the poor animal, because Echidna the Titan was horrible. She was a giant monster that was half human and half snake. Oh, which half was which, asked Derek. The top half was human and the bottom half was snake, said Nanny Piggins, which is a good thing, otherwise her conversation would have been dreadfully tedious. 
So Echidna and Typhon were married, and all their children were monsters. And I don't mean monsters the way mothers affectionately call their children monsters when they say things like, You little monster, did you help yourself to a cookie out of the cookie jar? Then they give them a big hug because they're just so cute. No, all of Echidna and Typhon's children were literally monsters. All the most horrible monsters from Greek mythology were their children. The Nemean lion, the sphinx who killed anyone who couldn't answer her riddle, Cerebus the three-headed dog who guarded the underworld and stopped dead people from escaping Hades, and the Caucasian eagle who every day ripped out Prometheus's liver and ate it before it grew back and he'd come back the next day and do it all over again. All these monsters had Echidna and Typhon as their mum and dad. They must have had very strange family dinners, said Samantha. Yes, agreed Nanny Piggins. I can't imagine that family reunions were very relaxing either. So their child, the Nemean lion, wasn't just a regular lion. Which would have been scary enough, said Samantha. Exactly. The Nemean lion was a monstrous lion, continued Nanny Piggins. Everyone was terrified of it. It was huge, much bigger than a regular lion, and much tougher and much hungrier but no one had ever been able to stop the Nemean lion because it had a trick. It lived in a cave with two entrances, so whenever any human tried to trap it in the cave, the lion would just sneak out the other way. Like we do when the truancy officer comes to the front door, asked Michael, and we sneak out the back. Exactly, said Nanny Piggins, or the upstairs bathroom window. They never expect you to make your getaway through the upstairs bathroom window. But this was the ancient Greek story days, so upstairs bathroom windows had not been invented yet. So the Nemean lion just had to make do with the two doorways ruse. Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. As a result of all this, the Nemean lion had been the scourge of Nemea for years. It was called the Nemean lion and it lived in Nemea, said Boris. That must have been very confusing. Not at all, said Nanny Piggins. It was called the Nemean lion because it lived in Nemea. I suppose so that people wouldn't confuse it with other less monstrous lions in other regions. Well, how did the Nemean lion come to be there in the first place, asked Michael. Did Typhon and Echidna drop it off because it was too difficult to look after? No, said Nanny Piggins. Typhon and Echidna were not really hands-on parents. The Nemean lion was actually raised by Hera, queen of the gods, and Zeus's wife. Oh, I'm so confused, said Boris. I'm a bit too, said Samantha. Why would the queen of the gods want a horrible, monstrous lion as a pet? I think... Because she was queen of the gods, explained Nanny Piggins. You see, Hera was married to Zeus, and he could be very difficult to get along with. He had a terrible temper, as you know, but he also had a very bad habit of kidnapping maidens, seducing princesses, and falling in love with nymphs. As a result, Hera had some serious anger management issues, and she wasn't one of those women who managed their anger with deep breathing exercises and reasoned conversation. She managed her anger with brutal vengeance and violent retribution. 
and for a woman like that, a monstrous, murderous, horrifying pet can be very handy indeed. So when she got angry with the people of Nemea one day, she sent her pet to go and live among them. It was the worst pet-sitting job ever. Hera had particularly trained the Nemean lion to like eating beautiful young maidens. With Zeus as her husband, the less beautiful young maidens in the world, the better, as far as she was concerned. She sent the lion to Nemea, and it had been chomping on the local residents ever since. So let's get back to the beginning of our story. Smash cut to King Eurystheus. Zeus had asked him to come up with ten labours for Hercules to do. They had to be the ten most awful, dangerous, arduous things imaginable so that Hercules could atone for the terrible sin he had committed. What sin did he commit, asked Michael. I don't want to go into that now, said Danny Pickens. It's a whole other story and a sad one. I think we're better off focusing on this exciting story about the lion that I'm trying to tell you now. All you need to know is that Hercules felt very bad and he wanted to be punished so that he could feel better. Oh, like you did that time you ate 157 custard pies without sharing, said Boris. Please don't mention that day, said Nanny Piggins. I did my time. I tap danced for the orphans for three weeks to try and overcome my shame. In the end, it didn't work and I had to make them another 157 custard pies or I just couldn't live with myself. So I can only imagine that Hercules felt something akin to this level of shame. So when King Eurystheus saw his much better looking, much stronger, much braver cousin standing before him in shame, Eurystheus was gleeful. He really wanted Hercules to drop dead. So Eurystheus racked his mind trying to think of the most dangerous thing imaginable. Now Hercules' niece, Iolus, had accompanied him. Oh, wasn't Iolus a distant relative of yours? asked Michael. She was indeed, said Nanny Piggins. Hercules was not always the most sensible man, so the family had asked Iolus Piggins to tag along and keep him out of trouble. And it was not an easy job. She stood there beside her uncle, waiting impatiently for her other uncle to announce what task Hercules had to do. Your first labour, declared Eurystheus, is to kill the Nemean lion. Whoa, said Aeolus. That is not safe or reasonable. Also, I'm pretty sure you'll upset the animal rights activists. I accept the challenge, said Hercules. Aeolus groaned. Oh, of course you do. You know, if you weren't so relentlessly noble and proud, you wouldn't get in nearly as much trouble in the first place. But Hercules never did believe in listening to common sense or reason, so he immediately set off from the palace and started walking to Nemea. Was it far to walk, asked Michael. Oh, yes, said Nanny Piggins. Everyone walked everywhere back in the ancient story days, partly because neither the car nor public transport had been invented yet, but also for storytelling purposes. It's much easier to bump into someone and have a subplot if you're travelling by foot. And that is exactly what happened. As Hercules and Iolus approached Nemea, they saw a boy tending sheep in a field. Ho there, boy! Do you know the whereabouts of the Nemean lion that everyone fears so greatly? called Hercules. Oh, of course I do, said the boy. I'd be dead if I didn't. If you don't avoid that cave, you'll be lion supper before you can scream. Excellent, said Hercules. You're not going over there, are you? asked the boy. I am indeed, said Hercules, for I am Hercules, son of Zeus, and in penance for my crimes, I must perform the labour of killing the Nemean lion. Oh, that's a tough break, said the boy. It would be very good if you could kill the lion, though. It'd halve my commute to work if I didn't have to go the long way around to avoid her cave. I'll tell you what, I'll make a sacrifice to the gods to bring you good luck. Then, in 30 days, if you don't return safely past this way on your way home, I shall sacrifice myself to the gods. 
Whoa, said Iola's Piggins. You don't need to do that. Dramatic, heroic gestures are all very well in stories. But in real life, if you want to achieve things, you're much better off working consistently over a long period of time to incrementally achieve your goals. The gods barely pay attention to anything humans do down here in ancient Greece. What if they're looking the other way when you sacrifice yourself? Iola speaks the truth, young fellow, said Hercules. I bid you wait the 30 days. Then, when I pass back this way safely, we shall sacrifice a lamb to Zeus together. Couldn't you sacrifice a tofu burger together, asked Iolus. Something less violent. Also, less wasteful. This boy is a shepherd. He can't go around sacrificing his workmates all the time. Hercules just laughed. Ha, ha, ha. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer, and sometimes he had trouble following what Iolus was saying, especially when she was using big words. So they continued on their way. Hercules and Iolus climbed to the top of the hill, and from the summit they looked down into the valley, where the Demian lion's cave was situated. Immediately they saw her. The great fearsome lion was lying out on the grass in the sunshine. She looked just like a regular household kitty cat as she lay there enjoying the sun, except that she was five hundred times bigger. Iolus began to suspect that the Nemean lion's reputation may have been overstated. I shall launch my trusty arrows from this vantage point, declared Hercules. And before Iolus could workshop some other ideas with him, Hercules stood up, put an arrow in his bow, and fired it at the Nemean lion. Now, I know I say some critical things about Hercules and his intelligence, but this was just the sort of thing Hercules was seriously good at. He was really good at shooting arrows a very long way and with pinpoint accuracy. His first shot hit the lion right in the centre of her chest, right over the heart. She would have been dead instantly if it weren't for the fact that she was a monstrous lion, so her skin was impervious to weapons, which meant the arrow bounced right off. All that happened was she stirred in her sleep, having felt what was to her a mere pinprick. Hercules couldn't believe it, so he tried again, this time aiming for her head. He struck a powerful shot right between her eyes, but again the arrow bounced right off. He tried again and again and again, but the arrows bounced off like they were made of rubber. I've run out of arrows, said Hercules, as he looked into his empty quiver. Oh, what a shame, said Iolus. How about we go home and strategize? But thinking and strategizing was not Hercules' way. We shall end it here and now, declared Hercules. He drew his trusty sword and ran down into the valley, brandishing it high above his head while screaming, To honor Zeus, I kill thee! He then swung the sword with all his might down onto the neck of the sleeping lion. But again, its monstrous skin didn't even get a scratch. The only damage done was to Hercules' sword. It bent in half from the weight of his blow. This time, the Nemean lion did stir. She opened one eye, lifted her head slightly, and said to Hercules, Would you mind? I'm trying to sleep. Then lay back down again. Hercules trudged back to the hilltop, very disgruntled. Don't be downhearted, said Iolus. The arrows and the sword were both top-notch ideas. You're just tired because we've been walking for weeks. How about we get some rest, then after a good night's sleep, you can go down and bludgeon or shoot arrows at the lion in the morning. Oh, good idea, said Hercules. So he snuggled down and went to sleep. As soon as her uncle was snoring, Iolus snuck down into the valley to have a word with the lion. Yoo-hoo, called Iolus as she approached the cave. 
Who's that? asked the lion. Have you come to sacrifice yourself to me? Because I've already had four sheep and two villagers for dinner. I don't think I could fit another thing in. No, no, it's not that, said Iolus. I've just come down for a quick chat. You see, my uncle, Hercules, demigod, son of Zeus, really strong guy, he's come to Nemea especially to kill you. Gosh, said the Nemean lion. What did I ever do to him? Well, you see, people in this area are kind of fed up with you eating all the local residents, explained Iolus. So they were keen for a hero to visit and put a stop to it. Well, why didn't they just say so? asked the Nemean lion. I was thinking of moving to sub-Saharan Africa anyway. Nemea is nice, but there aren't many other lions for me to socialise with here. I've been planning to emigrate for years. Well, that's perfect, said Iolus. The only thing is that my uncle Hercules has sworn an oath to kill you. Oh, gosh, that's awkward, said the Nemean lion. I don't really want to be killed. I know, agreed Iolus, but I think we can find a way around it. You see, Hercules has never killed a lion before, so I'm confident we can come up with a compromise where he thinks he's killed you. Hmm, what do I have to do, asked the Nemean lion. Is there an Ikea store nearby, asked Iolus. Whoa, hang about, said Derek. There was no Ikea in the ancient Greek story days. Of course there was, said Nanny Piggins. Where do you think Vikings bought their furniture? Derek couldn't answer this question, so Nanny Piggins continued with her story. Iolus popped to the nearest Ikea. Luckily, Nemea had a store that was open late. She picked up three faux fur rugs and sewed them together in a lion onesie, then explained to the lion exactly what she had to do. Early the next morning, Iolus went to Hercules. Wakey-wakey, Uncle Hercules, time to kill the lion. Oh, but I don't have any arrows left, complained Hercules. That's okay, said Iolus. During the night, I came up with a cunning plan. You did, said Hercules. What, a plan that's even better than running down the hill and bludgeoning the lion with my club? Yes, that is a terrific idea, lied Iolus. But I've come up with a few extra ideas to make it work even better. You see, right now the lion is asleep inside the cave, so I've blocked up one of the entrances. That means if you sneak down there, you'll be able to corner the lion, bash it with your club, skin the beast, and take the skin back to Eurystheus to prove what you've done. Gosh, that does sound good, said Hercules. I didn't fancy chasing the lion about the countryside. She's got twice as many legs as me. That would be an unfair advantage. So Hercules decided to follow Iolus's plan. He snuck down the hill and crept into the cave. Oh, he must have been terrified, said Michael. He probably was a bit, said Nanny Piggins, but Hercules was courageous. He never let a little thing like sure death or dreadful pain deter him. He stepped into the cave where the Nemean lion was waiting. And Iolus had told her exactly what to do. The Nemean lion roared a deafening roar, then bashed Hercules about the head a few times to confuse him and make him think it was a proper fight. In response, Hercules swung his mighty club and bashed the lion right on the head, which actually seriously irritated her. So the Nemean lion responded by biting Hercules' finger off. He screamed in pain, and the Nemean lion realised this was her moment to escape. While Hercules was jumping up and down and trying to wrap a bandage around his finger, she snuck out the back entrance. But Iolus had blocked it, said Michael. No, that's what Iolus had told Hercules. She'd blocked most of it, but there was a lion-sized trapdoor in the blockage. So the Nemean lion slipped through, ran down to the Mediterranean, started swimming to Africa, where she spent the rest of her days living happily, chasing wildebeest and zebras like a normal lion.
But back at our story. Hercules was still in the cave. It was dark. He was confused from being bashed about the head, and it really hurt where his finger had been. As he stumbled about in the dark, Hercules' leg brushed up against fur. Lion fur. So Hercules lashed out with his club, blindly clubbing at the fur over and over again. But it wasn't the lion, said Boris. No, it was the Ikea faux fur rug draped over a lock, said Nanny Piggins. When Hercules grew weary of his clubbing, he realised that the lion had stopped moving. So he grabbed the lion's skin and tore it from its body. At least that's what he thought he was doing. He really was just whipping it off an old log. Iolas had cleverly smeared the underside of the faux fur rug with ketchup, so it looked very convincing. Hercules staggered out of the cave triumphant. He proudly draped the fur about himself as a cloak and started marching back to the palace of Eurystheus. Along the way, he met the boy, so the boy didn't have to sacrifice himself. Instead, Aeolus persuaded them both to sacrifice some delicious field mushrooms to the god of omelettes, and they had a lovely meal. When Hercules returned to the palace, dressed in a huge, realistic-looking lion onesie and covered in fake blood, Eurystheus was terrified. He leapt into a huge brass pot and hid from Hercules. He hid in a pot? asked Michael. But that doesn't make any sense. Hercules was super strong. He could just lift the lid off the pot. Yes, I know it doesn't make sense, agreed Nanny Piggins, but it's written down in the original Greek storybooks that way. Eurystheus often hid in this pot. He must have been a very deeply silly man. Anyway, that's how it goes. And so Hercules' first labour was completed. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, the lion did. Not so much Hercules, because he had another 11 labours to perform. The end. Oh, look, the train's coming, said Derek. Oh, excellent, said Nanny Piggins. Time to catch the train. All the passengers on the train station cheered, and they all caught the train home. The end. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the story. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>